Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. That intro is one of the few that I don't end up skipping very often. I love the way it shows the development of technology from our current level to that which is depicted in this week's topic, The Expanse. Hi there, I'm your host, Reese Hendrick, and you're listening to Science Factual, the show that dives into the facts behind your favorite science fiction. Today's topic comes as a suggestion from guest comedian and overall great guy, Charlie Arnell Jr. We sat down before the comedy open mic at Sookie's in downtown Portland to chat about the show whether or not we're alone out here in space, and where we'd like to live in the solar system. I'm thinking it's about time for a good old-fashioned... Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Because I'm about to dive right into an overview, synopsis, and a beltload of facts about the show and novels the show is based on. The Expanse is an American science fiction television series developed by Mark Fergus and Hawk Ostby, based on the series of novels of the same name by James S.A. Corey. The series is set in a future where humanity has colonized the solar system. It follows a disparate band of protagonists, United Nations Security Council member Christian Avasarala, police detective Joseph Miller, ship's officer James Holden and his crew, as they unwittingly unravel and place themselves at the center of a conspiracy that threatens the system's fragile state of Cold War while dealing with existential crises brought forth by newly discovered alien technology. The Expanse has received critical acclaim with particular praise for its visuals, character development, and political narrative. It received the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation and three Saturn Award nominations for Best Science Fiction Television Series. Ahead of the fifth season's release, Amazon renewed the series for a sixth season, which premiered on December 10th of 2021. A seventh season renewal is set to be announced on or about January 13th, 2023, if it is to be confirmed. Alright, here's a quick breakdown of the cast before getting into the details spanning the six available seasons. Up first we have Thomas Jane as Joe Miller, the investigator. We have Stephen Strait as James Holden, the Earther executive officer of the Canterbury, who then later goes on to captain the Rosinante. We have Cass Anvar as Alex Kamal, the Martian pilot of the Canterbury. We have Dominique Tipper as Naomi Nagata, a belter engineer of the Canterbury. We have Wes Chatham as Amos Burton, an Earther mechanic of the Canterbury, originally from Be More. Shout out Chris Hudson, what's good? Paulo Costanzo as Shed Garvey, the Canterbury's medical technician. Florence Favre as Juliet Julie Andromeda Mao. Sean Dale as Sadavir Ehrenreit. Shore Agdashlu as Christian Avasarala. Frankie Adams as Roberta Bobby Draper. Kara Gee as Kamina Drummer. Keon Alexander as Marco Inaros. Josiah Chase Owens as Philip Inaros. And Nadine Nickel as Clarissa Melpomene Mao. Boy, these future names are really a handful. Okay, let's get into the plot with a top-down synopsis. Christian Avasarala, a United Nations executive, works to prevent war between Earth and Mars. Series police detective Joe Miller is sent to find a missing young woman, Julie Mao. The space freighter Canterbury and the Martian Navy flagship Doniger are destroyed by unknown stealth ships. James Holden, Naomi Nagata, Alex Kamal, and Amos Burton survive both attacks and escape on the Tachi, a Martian gunship. They rename the ship Rosinante, which becomes the main setting of the series. 
they renamed the ship Rosinante, which becomes the main setting of the series. The crew of the Rosinante, with Miller's help, investigates and eventually discovers a biohazard that kills off most of the humans on the asteroid Eros, including Julie. The crew of the Rosinante, along with members of the OPA, attack the station responsible for the biohazard on Eros. Learning that it is an extrasolar bioweapon known as the Protomolecule, they attempt to destroy Eros. Miller becomes trapped there and dies when it crashes into Venus. Martian Marine Bobby Draper fights an inhuman figure on Ganymede and later, during peace talks between Earth and Mars, becomes a protege of Avasarala. The crew tries to help a father, Prax, find his lost daughter, and in the process they encounter and kill a figure akin to the one that Draper fought, now known as a protomolecule hybrid, developed by Jules P.R. Mao. A research ship sent to Venus to investigate the crash of Eros into the planet is stopped dead in the atmosphere and dismantled by the protomolecule. The UN declares war as Earth and Mars send science vessels to investigate what is happening on Venus. Political tensions soar as the OPA is recognized as the government of the Belters and Prax is reunited with his daughter. The protomolecule forms the Ring, a structure which takes an orbital position beyond Uranus, <laughs> and all three governments race to send their ships through. After a Belter racing ship slingshots through the Ring at high speed, the Ring believes the high-speed humans and objects to be dangerous and activates defenses that threaten humanity. Through Holden, a projection of Miller tries to shut off the defenses of the Ring and convince the protomolecule that humanity is not a threat. A land rush to other star systems with habitable worlds begins, with thousands of planets accessible via the Ring's wormholes. Refugee ships from the Belt and overcrowded Earth are stopped at the Gateway. A ship runs the blockade, and the crew of the Rosinante are sent through the portal to investigate the situation on the exoplanet called Illus. The settlers have been joined by an officially backed scientific expedition with private military support leading to frequent violence between the two groups. The crew fails to ease tensions and decides to find out what is happening on the planet and where the previous civilization has gone. With the help of Miller, Holden reactivates an ancient structure setting off a chain of cataclysmic events. Efforts to terraform Mars wane as habitable worlds are available. In the meantime, a deadly conspiracy theory threatens Earth, as the crew of the Rosinante pursue personal missions while their ship is in dry dock at Tycho Station. Draper and Avasarala investigate the Martian military's ties to a growing threat from a rogue faction of Belters. Marco Inaros, the rebel leader, assembles a Belter fleet and attacks Earth with stealth-shielded asteroids. Holden and the crew of the Rosinante fight alongside the combined fleet of Earth and Mars to protect the inner planets from Marco Inaros and his free navy. The combined fleet, allied with the ships of Kamina Drummer and the Belter forces, defeats Marco and the Free Navy by antagonizing an unknown alien presence. Alright, did you get all that? Good. Because I am definitely not repeating it. Now that you're up to speed for the most part on The Expanse, let's get into some facts behind the show. The Expanse is based on a book series of the same name written by James S.A. Corey, the pen name of Ty Frank and Daniel Abraham. It was originally developed as a tabletop role-playing game, but after having worked on the world-building and fleshing out the major factions, Earth, Mars, and the Belt, they felt it was too much information to leave to just a board game, and so they developed it into a novel, which gave birth to a series of novels. In the television series, from season 4 onward, every season is adapted to just one book, and every season finale bears the title of the book adapted during the season. The book titles in the Expanse series bear cryptic names in reference to the events in their respective novels. Uh, for instance, in the first books, Leviathan Wakes refers to a once dormant and powerful alien virus that has, quote, woken up to wreak havoc on humanity. The name of the ship, Rosinante, is the name of Don Quixote's horse from the novel Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes. The episodes named Dulcinea and Windmills may also be allusions to the novel. Rosinante is also the name of the spaceship in the song Cygnus X-1 by Rush. In the song, Rosinante explores the black hole Cygnus X-1. The song both closes out the album A Farewell to Kings and opens the follow-up album Hemispheres. And here's an absolute fact for you, there is no better drummer than Neil fucking Peart.
In the first episode of season two, during a spacewalk scene outside of the Rosinante, James Holden asks Naomi Nagata if she, quote, likes space gladiator movies. This is a reference to a famous line in Airplane from 1981. In season three, Melba is wearing a jumpsuit branded from Savage Industries. This has been confirmed by the writers as an in-show nod to Expanse Superfan and behind-the-scenes host Adam Savage from Discovery Channel's Mythbusters. Tycho Station is likely a nod to Tycho Brahe. Brahe was a Danish nobleman renowned for his accurate and comprehensive astronomical observations. He is considered one of the first competent minds in modern astronomy. The name Tycho itself is derived from the Greek goddess of fortune and luck, something Earther Fred Johnson would know. The Martian ship Kitur Chanama, appearing in episode 4 of season 3, is a reference to the Indian warrior queen Rani Chanama from Kitur Kanataka, who fought against the British occupation of India. Just like today, there are several slang or slur words used to describe the different members of a solar society. Earthers, someone from Earth, dusters are the Martians, uh, skinnies or belters are people from the asteroid belt and associated space stations like Tycho, Eros, etc. Both Thomas Jane and Kas Anvar have ties to the Marvel live-action Punisher movies. In the first, Thomas Jane played the title character of Frank Castle. In the follow-up movie, Kas Anvar played a plastic surgeon. In the season 6 finale, prior to the assault on the ring gate by the crew, there are a few scenes that show the last names of all the troopers sent in on the attack. In homage to the 1986 movie Aliens, you can clearly see the last names Hicks, Hudson, and Vasquez listed on the Rosinante's view screen. Beginning December 16, 2020, Wes Chatham and Ty Frank started hosting weekly programs that feature behind-the-scenes information about the series, which continued on as an audio-video Ty and That Guy podcast covering each series episode from then on, uh, and then back from the Expanse Season 1, Episode 1 to the remainder of the series, additionally discussing their inspirations from genre culture and occasionally having guests both related and not related to the series. So if you want even more on The Expanse, go and check out that podcast as well. I'd also like to suggest an article I found while perusing science.org, as one does, where they sit down with showrunner Naren Shankar to discuss how the show effectively deals with the nature of space travel and the exploration of new worlds. I think the show does a fantastic job of keeping it real, much to the joy of hardcore fans and space nerds alike. Up next, we have an awesome interview with Portland comedian Charlie Arnell Jr. We busted out our tinfoil hats and really got into things before the Sookie's Comedy open mic that takes place Tuesdays from 9 till whenever. Did you watch any of The Expanse yet? It's a great show. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like... It's a great show, and season 7 has been announced. It's dropping November of this year. Fuck yeah. Yeah, so it's gonna... Yeah. The, and. For good reason. I mean, you know, like, a, se a show doesn't really get put up for a seventh season for no reason. I started rewatching because I think when la last time I watched season six, because my buddy told me about it a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. It was during the pandemic, or right after, like, some, some, it was a couple years ago. And I started rewatching it, and the show changes so much from season one to season six. Sure. I legitimately forgot how the show started. <laughs> Like, I yeah. seriously did. I was rewatching. I was like, oh, yeah, this was like a detective thing for a little bit. Right. Like, yeah, because it's completely different. just like go somewhere completely different. But like, it, it is very bureaucratic. It's almost like JAG in space. Uh, uh, that's the judge advocate general. I think I, I want to sound smart. I think that's right. That's it's basically it's the lawyers for the Navy. Jag was a show in the 90s. Following in his father's footsteps as a naval aviator, Lieutenant Commander Harmon Rabb Jr. suffered a crash while landing his Tomcat on a storm-tossed carrier at sea. Diagnosed with night blindness, Harm transferred to the Navy's Judge Advocate General Corps, which investigates, defends, and prosecutes the law of the sea. There, with fellow JAG lawyer Major Sarah McKenzie, he now fights in and out of the courtroom with the same daring and tenacity that made him a top gun in the air. But basically, it was like somewhat action, somewhat bureaucracy, but they're also investigating shit. Yeah. But set in space. 
And I, I do fuck with the expanse because of its relatively accurate representation physics. of physics I know. and technology like, and mm-hmm. like, you know, the va- the actual vacuum of space cuz a lot of like space travel shit is is fantasy. But this War kind of really like awesome. they have like a big bang level writers room in so far as like the science nerdum. Mm-hmm. So definitely I fuck with it for that. Ow, Charlie. You bit my finger. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> no, what? Every that's been happening me since middle school. I had to do it. Unicorn. I had to do it. Come oh on, dude, for, for me it's Reese's Pieces. So <laughs> fuck you. All right, no, I had to do it. That is a fantastic candy. Okay, thank you. It's, it's a great candy. I'll give you that. If ET loves that. it, you that's should. True. You should. That is too. true. Yeah. Since we're talking about space anyway. Yes, you know, that's fair. ET loves it. It's All right, well, well, moving on, before before you ditch out on this interview, uh, what's uh, what's your Instagram? Charles Jr. Comedy, at Charles Jr. Comedy. Cool. And uh, that's where we can check out all of your upcoming shows. You've, yep. I mean, it, we're going to be doing Oaks Bottom. Oaks Bottom is now first and third Thursdays. Nice. From 7 till probably 8.39-ish. Uh, we just got that moved twice a month now. First and third Thursdays used to be once a month on Tuesdays, but now it's twice a month, so that's got doubled. So I have a big show, big special taping, coming on October 8th, the Jack London Review. Two shows, one at 7.30 and one at 9. We're taping four great comedians, Brent Lowry, Drew Grizzly, Rochelle Cochran, and Robbie Sherman are all getting special, like, mini specials, about 20 minutes long, roughly. we got a local production company doing it. It's going to be fantastic. Come on out. That is a stacked fucking lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am definitely going. And the Jack London's, like, a, I, I love I the know. Rialto, too. Like, I, I play pool there all the time oh, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, bet on horses. Fun. Fuck yeah. There goes my paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun. I, I love Rialto. It's, uh, I'm glad that it's, like, still holding out, like, that, that whole, you know, like, kind of oh. almost collective of awesomeness right there. I've never been there, funny enough. I okay. I to go. Nice. I, I, the reason why I got the venue is because the production people I'm working with actually are friends with one of the bookers. Nice. Okay. So that's, that's all I got. It's all about who you know, kid. It's all about who you know. It's all about who you know. It's all about who you know. All right. Well, Charlie, let me ask you this. What was your first exposure to science fiction? I was thinking about it. Uh, probably Halo. The Halo oh, series. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like, I got that when I was like, it sounds kind of weird, but I've literally never not believed in aliens. Because, like, it just seemed preposterous to me that, like, we're, like, like what? Like, we're that special? Like, sure. there's other, for we're, sure. We're not. If it happened once, it's happened a million times in the amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, like, the, yeah. Also, just the timelines. Universe 14 billion years. We're only, like, three billion years old as a planet or something. That's probably way off. It, I know that's way off, so I don't remember. But Hey, it sounds right to me. Preposterous. Yeah, it, it is. And we're going to get into the Fermi paradox in a minute because I definitely want to talk yeah. to you about that. But, you know, it's, it's funny you say Halo and, like, you know, when you look at the expanse from Season 1 to Season 6, it's like, how did this start again? It's like, Halo's kind of the same way. Like, you get to Halo 4 and you're just like... Like, because did you read any of the novels, too? I like, not, I, Okay, no. so I read some of, like, the no. Reach novels and stuff, and, like, I played Reach, the game. and mm-hmm. uh, Dude, ha- Halo World. jumped the shark. Like, Halo Infinite <laughs> is absolute garbage. Mm. Like, the reason why I got in Halo is just the first game I got, and so I sure. the crap out of it. Like, that on the Xbox, my brother gave it to me. And, oh, yeah. Like, that's what really got me into Halo. And, like, I've... Many a night were spent on, in LAN parties. For, oh, sure. Yeah. for sure. This is pre-Halo 2, kids. <laughs> this is pre-shitty, even, like, pre-proto-dial-up. Oh, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, no, dude, this... Yeah, uh, Halo exactly. was, was also one of the first that I played, and, like, it's so good. Have you played the remastered version at all? Mm-hmm. It's quite also good. quite good. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I just play yep. the Maw. Like, oh, I just, God. Because I, I want to skip all, like, the expo <laughs> and just get to the fucking meat and potatoes, oh, you know what I mean? Dude, I, it's like, I got there when I was a kid, and... I literally could not play any of the flood levels till I was like 15, dude. Like, yeah, the, the flood literally gave me nightmares. It is scary. I would get to like, uh, in Halo 1, where you finally get to, I forget the planet, but there's that room and you find the dead Marine's body and look at his FOV camera. Mm. And you oh, just hear right. the flood. I just, I, I stopped playing after that. I was like, you know what? It, it is scary. Nah. It's definitely scary. And, uh, you know, that and, like, when I, the first time I played Dead Space. Oh, dude. That's, a, that's another, like, s- super creepy one. I watched somebody play it on YouTube, but I did not play it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, you know what? No, I'll, like, watch somebody else play it. Well, and now, the, the Expanse isn't necessarily scary. It has its moments. It has its, it has its thriller moments, for mm. sure. Yeah, no, it's, it, it it def- and it's definitely action-packed. Yeah. Um, there's always the threat of just living in space. That's, so, like, yeah, they like, do that really well. Yes, they yeah. do because like most places, they like they they completely like wash over. Like, oh yeah, no, we're in space, no biggie. But the expanse is like, yeah, no, that hole doesn't get patched up in the next like 
three seconds, we're all going to suffocate, and they, like, really show how you suffocate. Yeah. Like, yeah, they, yeah, they sure do. Detail. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think uh, big ups to the graphics department for that as well. Like, a lot of things can be done cheesily or just kind of without the serious undertones. I think that a lot of the, you know, like, the practicality of existing in this world or just, like... Because it is relatively near future. I, I know mm -hmm. the near future... I, I, okay, it's not within the next 100 years, but it's within, like, the next 200, 200 300 years. Yeah, for sure. And because, like, colonizing the solar system, if we make it past this iteration of our society, like, where we lose our dependency on oil and go toward, like, you know... It's, it's nuclear fusion is the thing that's going to do it. Or some, like... Sure. Rel it's like, like, we're not going to get to the moon in a gas power. No. We've oh, already definitely been not. there. Yeah. That's a whole other we, Yeah, we try... Yes. And now they're like, we'll get there by 2025 again. God, no. That's, you really think so? Well, not the United States. That's what they're saying. Okay. They want to be at well, the moon by 2025. And I'm like, dude... How have you not, have we not, like, stayed up there? Like, I don't know, that's just a personal question I have, like. I can, I can say that I'm not massively in student loan debt, <laughs> but that doesn't make it true. That's, that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's, that's a fair point. Yeah, they're still going to come after at least 20% of my income. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's for NASA, though. For Yeah, well, so long as it's for NASA. It's for NASA. That's, hey. And not for that sweet, sweet black budget. <laughs> no, <laughs> the one we don't talk about. Yeah, with the the one $300 that... toilet seats in every every bathroom. <laughs> yeah, that, yes, that budget. <laughs> yeah, that budget. So how did you learn about The Expanse? Uh, my buddy, my roommate from college told me. Ah, okay. Yep, yep, he put me onto it. He had an MCRN hoodie, and I asked him mm. what that was, and he's like, dude, it's Expanse. Like, you're going to... Got to get it. into it. Got yeah. into it. Love it. Because it is like, a, not that it's like a Game of Thrones level dedication, but like you got to get into it a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah, you really do. There, it is a relatively complicated, Very you know, complicated world. And, you know, like if, if you don't catch certain things or you're not quick to the uptake about context, you may miss mm -hmm. out on, on further context, which will compound. Like you, you kind of yeah. have to know about what's 100%. going on. Like you said, over the course of X amount of seasons, it really cranks up the heat and you're just like, okay. Yeah, how did this begin? It started yeah. as like a kind of simple detective mm -hmm. show, and then it extrapolates all the way out to colonizing other universes. Yeah, you you kind of have to in nowadays uh, really up the ante with mm -hmm. a story arc, but they didn't do it in like a pedantic way or like no. a you know like a spoon fed kind of way. It really is thoughtfully done. So that's another thing that I like about the the series. Did you read the books by James S. A. Corey? I did not. Okay, but I am neither have I. Thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, I am too. I do have a lot on my plate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I am currently drowning in content uh, for Science Factual, but in a good way. I might think about audiobooks because I, I, I do. Yes. Audiobooks are a lot yeah. easier because I listen to podcasts already. And it's like, Same as What do you listen to? I listen to Breaking Points a lot, which is a new okay. podcast. Sure. Um, besides that, I listen to uh, Matt and Shane's Secret Show. Okay, I'm unfamiliar. It's um. They they keep it very well secret. Shane Gillis and Matt. I, I, don't, I don't remember. Yeah, I know Shane Gillis. But yeah, it's his podcast. Okay. Yeah, neat. And also Tim Dillon. Sometimes yeah. Tim Dillon's hilarious. Yeah, he is. Then uh, sometimes Andrew great. Schultz. I don't. My job right now is very boring, so I have time to listen to podcasts while I do work. Schultz is like a goat. All right, like he's like a quick. contemporary goat. Quick to yes, quick to COVID quick to goat launched him. Yes, COVID absolutely launched him, and for good reason. He's fucking sick with it. It is his Netflix special. Did did you watch like the little Netflix like short like super hyper cut? I haven't seen that one in particular. No, I've seen a lot of his content, but I haven't seen that quick cut one. No. He he like made it during COVID, and it's yeah. just like a quick cut of a bunch of like really quick bits with like imagery. It's pretty much like a meme stream. Okay, like that is what it is. Nice. It's just like. Him doing a monologue with a bunch of images that are like photoshopped to like coincide with it. And he got it released on Netflix like during COVID. And hey. It's just a meme stream. And Netflix isn't fucking desperate for content at all. So. <laughs> it's no, he, no, he is fantastic. Um, definitely. So getting back to the expanse, who's your favorite character? Yeah. My favorite character is Kells Ashford. He's okay. a leader in the Belter, in the Belter group of people, which we don't know. Sure. There's, the people who live on the asteroids in between Earth and Mars, and they mine it, and they're kind of like the lower class people compared to Earth and Mars. The way the story goes is that uh, one of the head belters, another head belter, was building this massive ship for Mormons. We were going to do a hundred year colony mission, ship just to yeah. like go out into the right. universe. Yeah. And then the belters Literal take mission, it over. Not like in two senses of the word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then the belters took it over mm. and made it like their main hub ship because they don't really have access to like many high tech ships like Earth and Mars do. Sure. And, um, yeah, no, he's he's a really... That's really life cool. on the belt, baby. 
Seriously. <laughs> yeah, that does bring me to a little bit forward to like a future question that I was going to ask. But where in the solar system would you want to live? Probably Mars. Yeah, same Z's. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, I, they fuck, have the, I fucked with Mars heavy. They have the cool marine suits. And yeah. I was like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah. I, I want to yeah. have a mech it's, suit. It's everything that like we kind of want it to be, mm-hmm. uh, or it kind of could be, because they do a bit. They do a good yeah. job terraforming it, like. Mm-hmm. Because the, the technology, it's not like something unattainable or that we no. aren't or that we aren't necessarily in the process of developing already. I mean, like mm. we we have a lot of the what will be considered 200 years from now, like the proto versions of whatever it is that will you know come to be. Again, should we not annihilate ourselves first? Yeah, because like... I, I think that a lot of this is fantasy in that respect. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, I, was, I was trying to describe it to a friend the other day, and, like, the best way to describe the expanse is just, like, a linear progression of technology yes. from what we have today. Yeah, I, yeah like, I agree. It's not like we discover some old spaceship and all of a sudden discover warp drive and go all the way across stars. It's like, sure. yo, we just got out the front door, Yeah, and we're living there. Yeah, totally. And, and alien technology is involved to a smaller degree, but it isn't, yes. like, the impetus of mm-hmm. our exploration of necessarily, like, even Mars or beyond into, like, the greater... Mm-hmm expanse of our solar system hey (laughs) all right now who's your least favorite character least favorite character i i don't really have one there's not a vil there's not Uh, a villain there there's some some biatches yeah definite biatches but they like round all their characters so yeah so it's like you can't just blindly hate somebody sure because they familiarize someone even if they're an asshole it's like okay well like like amos is a great example of that sure but, like, but you can empathize with him uh, mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. He's he's like a loyal psychopath. Hmm. Because like he like in the show like especially in the first season which because like they do a lot of more like character discovery when I'm rewatching it. Mm-hmm. I forgot like he literally like needs people to like make sure he doesn't kill the wrong people. He almost kills um the detective and I'm Miller Detective Miller. He almost kills Miller, and he has to have somebody, like, rein him back in saying, no, Amos, he's, like, don't kill him, we don't need you to kill him, but, like, he just kind of has, like, this, well, he's a psychopath. Yeah, a bit amoral. Yeah. But not necessarily entirely, because there is a driving factor to his actions, even though it, it, it may just be a form of chaos. I don't mean it in, 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 like, the negative sense, I mean, like, he just doesn't have the ability to have empathy. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah, no, that definitely like, you you wouldn't be able to to do some of the things. That, no, yeah, no, but he's like a well-rounded character. You find out he had a rough childhood and sure. with like mafia people, um, that version of it, in like Philadelphia, which is like dirt poor now in in uh, in uh, Earth's life, and he just had to do that to survive. Like he had to become that person, mm. and now he's running away from his boss because he left his boss. And later in the show, that's why he's in space. So a lot of people go in space to work on ice haulers to do that. Yeah, that's that's usually a you know kind of a, a a great equal. Space is a great equalizer in that way. You know, like mm-hmm. you see that in other series like Firefly, and, which is a, which is awesome. Basically, anybody who goes off world is trying to escape mm-hmm. something, oh, or they're you know, or they're bored, or they're you know, they're, they're, mm-hmm. there is some sort of reasoning. Now, do you think we're going to see ourselves in this near future? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so, I too. I hope so, so much. Like, like, having colonized our own solar system, like... Just anything, honestly. Yeah, just anything. Just even Mars. Like, I'm cool with, I, I'm cool with just Mars for, like, a hundred years. Yeah. Because we need to double down somewhere else. We Yeah, we really do. We're behind the eight ball on this one, dude. I know. Like, I mean, so much, too. Because we should, you know, all of this money that we funnel toward, here comes here comes that black budget again, yeah. to, toward things that don't, uh, you know, like, need to transpire, like, mm-hmm. but, it, fuck, man. I, it, it's people who are uh, not necessarily smarter than us, but more powerful than us who make the decisions I mean, without us. You know I, I mean? genuinely hope that there are people who are like, oh, yeah, no, like, we've been doing all the stuff towards that, we just don't let people know. Yeah. Like, that, I, like, there is a conspiracy theory behind that, but, like, I genuinely hope that, like, the government's like, oh, yeah, no, like, we, we've been, like... So, like, like in, 20, like, the movie 2012, when they have the arcs... Yeah, they're, like, like ready built to go and it, it, Well, like, well, they're ready for that flood, so it's, like, three, yeah, like... pretty much. Yeah, or, or like, uh, don't look up when they're, like, yeah, no, yeah. We, we've got these, yep. these ships ready to go for the old Yeah, they're, like, we, we just didn't want to tell you guys. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, sure. You know what? If humankind is that shitty, like... <laughs> Fuck that. I don't want you to survive either, dickhead. Like, yeah. I mean, 
I I don't want it in like the the sense that we're like only certain people get it, but mm-hmm. I just kind of hope that the, the that the government is like researching this stuff and keeping it on the hush hush. Sure. Because like if they let Russia or China know that like oh yeah we've been still going into space, then it creates like a whole like national security issue and stuff like that. It's so, like I hope in all the nefariousness of the government, they're still going into space. I just hope. Like I don't I don't have any proof, but well, that'd be amazing. Elon's doing something with them. Mm-hmm. Is he working with them? SpaceX is delivering payloads and shit for the government as well. Okay, so let's dive into the Fermi paradox real quick, Mm, which in layman's terms basically is a thought exercise that says, hey, where where are the aliens? Mm -hmm. They should exist. And there, there are a number of equations that take into account a number of variables yada 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 some of them yes yeah some some of them are are more reasonable some of them are like what the fuck i i don't know there are a number of ways that it could be done because much like if we're looking at a 2d entity Mm -hmm. or an entity that lives in 2d space you know they don't they only perceive us as a line if we're in their field of vision if there is such a perception Mm -hmm. So, you know, much like that scenario, there could be an entity living in a multi-dimensional space that we cannot perceive yeah. that is mm-hmm. co-existing in our time frame or whatever. I, so. I, I, I feel like I am ill-equipped to, you know, kind of speak to it because I, I wish I had, like, more of the... No, it's, like, it's, it's, it's like one of those things, like, things that are inherently non-physical. Like, how can you prove it physically? So, like, with, with that stuff, it's, it's like... That is a possible argument for like all, a lot of paranormal stuff. That well, they we call see. it theoretical for a reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's yeah, so, like people like say like, oh, whatever, like um, spirits and like gods of like days past could be uh, entities that come in and out of our dimension or whatnot. But when it comes to like the possible existence of aliens, the main thing that like I have always questioned is just so when you compare the age of the Earth to the age of the universe, there could have been like. A, well, multi- even, a multitude of societies that have come yeah, up, but yeah. A multitude, or even totally. if you just look and at... the evidence wouldn't even exist anymore. The like, timeline of life on Earth yeah. compared to the timeline of humans, it's like, dude, there's no shot. There was not something else that was, like, relatively as smart. And, like, maybe they didn't have the ability to, like, manipulate things around us like we do, like, with thumbs. Because, like, the, what makes us so different is we take nature and turn it into iPhones. <laughs> like, yes. That's what we Yes, we mine we iPhones. Yes, yeah, that's right. We, Fully, fully formed iPhones. Literally mine stuff to create a game about mining stuff. Yes. And then live in Minecraft. Yes. Like, that's insane. It is insane. And, you know, so I I think that a large part of, like, why we haven't had direct contact is is the factor that is, that that states that a lot of these civilizations destroy themselves before Mm -hmm. they get even to the level of the expanse. Yeah. Because a civilization, I think it's like a type two is galactic. Type 3 is intergalactic. Type 1 is <laughs> Alright, I think that it's it go, it grows in civilization yeah. number the more complex. I think 1 is you're able to harness energy from the, from the planet. From the pl- yes, that's correct. And yeah. then 2 is solar system, and then 3. Like, right right now, we're like like a 0.5. If that, yeah. yeah I mean, if, yeah. If that, that's being generous. Yeah, we you know, burn old dinosaurs. <laughs> cool. So, it's pretty metal. It is pretty metal, uh, not very effective, no. unfortunately. No. Creating kind of a negative feedback loop, if you will, but that's another that's convo. All right. Soup to nuts. What's your bet? Soup to nuts. What does that mean? <laughs> it, it means something. Soup to uh, nuts. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think that means is something flush with something else. It's a man term that I think I picked up when I used to do construction. It's one of those manly things that men say. Now, soup to nuts. Yeah, well, you know, I think this is soup to nuts. Yeah, no, that sounds right. It's like okay. apples to oranges, but like way more different. Sure, right. way more different. <laughs> Don't go yeah, up. Don't go up that. Uh, yeah. No, if if you're going soup to nuts, no, just don't tell your wife. <laughs> uh, what what's your bet? Do you think that maybe not in our lifetimes? Like, have you ever seen a UFO? Like, have you seen evidence of of? Some, I mean, I'm not trying to out you right now. My Charlie mom has seen at Charlie Arnold. <laughs> Charles Charlie, Jr. Charles, Jr. Uh, Charles Jr. comedy. Oh, thank you. My my mom says she saw one. Okay. Um, I am of the well. I mean, like the Navy, like literally the U.S. government has like shown footage of UFOs like over the past like seven or eight years and said it publicly that we don't know where they are from. Sure. So, like it's 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 the, out there. There are UAPs and yeah. UFOs. Well, UAP yeah. is just because UFO became a dirty term. Mean the same thing. That's true. 
Because like, if you're if bad enough at identifying things, everything's a UFO. That's that's true. Yeah. <laughs> if you forget to put your contacts in, most things. Are UFO. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but there's like like uh, with the, with the tic tac is like one where like we don't know how it's able to move that fast without killing the occupants inside. I like I go deep into this stuff. Like I yeah, no, dude, I I fall asleep to ancient aliens mostly because I'm mocking <laughs> it, but like I just I love oh, that. Yeah. I just need like some white noise. And I'm just like, yeah, no, this nice this tracks. <laughs> nice. Of no, course, I, yes. I, no, I, I think that it's got a lot of flaws. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, for sure. If it's on the History Channel, it probably has flaws. There is a really good yeah. show, though. History Channel. We're flawed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, a, there's Skinwalker Ranch. They did a whole oh, dude, show on Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, my God. That guy is the worst guy. Oh, I love it. You, you ever, I love you ever listen to Coast to Coast? I, I've heard of it. I've not George Nori and Art Bell. Dude, I do you, know of George Nori. Yeah, George, yeah, well, Ancient Aliens. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and, uh, Giorgio Sukalos. Say that five times fast. I don't think he could. I don't know who that is. That's Aliens guy. Oh! With the wild hair, yeah. yeah. Aliens! You you gotta pump the hair first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Alright, so, Charlie, what's coming up in your comedy schedule? I know we talked about it earlier, but, Mm -hmm. you know, like, so, we have the Jax London, that's on October 8th. Oaks Bottom on October 6th, which is a pub in Selwood. Jack London's in downtown Portland, right off of 4th Street, I believe. Yep. Then I have another show on October 20th at Oaks Bottom as well. And my, my reoccurring shows currently are the Oaks Bottom shows, which is our first and third Thursdays, October 6th and October 20th, 7 p.m. at Oaks Bottom Public House in Selwood. Then the Jack London show is a one-off right now. We'll see if we end up repeating it. Well, I'm stoked for it because it's a great lineup, and we're about to go to Sookie's. So, Sookie it to me, baby. That's an Austin Powers reference. I'm the, away. I've watched children. so many Austin Powers. <laughs> I love Austin Powers. All right, well, hey, thanks, Charlie. I appreciate you, bud. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, cool. Charlie and I talked about the Fermi Paradox for a bit during our convo, and if you've been listening in, you've likely heard me reference the Fermi Paradox a number of times during various discussions, but I think it's about high time we really dive into what exactly that idea is and why it is considered an important measure of the universe around us, so far as we can take a poke at something that abstract. Okay, so the Fermi Paradox refers to the dichotomy between the high probability that extraterrestrial intelligence exists and the fact that we have no evidence for such aliens. This paradox was described by the late British science fiction author Sir Arthur C. Clarke, who said, Two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in the universe, or we are not. Both are equally terrifying. Many experts since have grappled with the same question. Why, considering the multitude of planets and stars in the Milky Way, have we not heard from anyone? We call this problem the Fermi Paradox, and there are a number of possible solutions. Some are more unnerving than others. The Fermi Paradox is a problem that asks, where are all the aliens in the universe? If life is so abundant, why haven't we been visited by or heard from anyone else? In just the last two decades, we have found more than 4,000 planets beyond our solar system, with trillions of stars thought to exist in our galaxy alone, most of which host their own planets. Considering life sprang up here on Earth, would we not have expected it to start in at least one other location in the last 14 billion years of the universe? Perhaps. So who came up with the Fermi Paradox? Well, the Fermi Paradox was devised by the Italian-American physicist Enrico Fermi, according to the Planetary Society. He's said to have come up with the idea in a throwaway remark over lunch with colleagues in 1950 when he asked, Where is everybody? He wondered, given that our planet was relatively young compared to the universe, that we might not have expected someone to have visited us by now. But we had no evidence of that ever occurring. Unless, of course, you believe the ancient aliens theory. Fermi died four years later in 1954, so did not have long to ponder the question, but his idea has sparked whole fields of science hoping to solve the problem, including the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, or the SETI organization development. So what are the solutions to the Fermi Paradox? There are a number of solutions. The most obvious and likely is that we simply haven't looked hard enough to find other life, and interstellar travel between stars is difficult. The first planets beyond our own solar system were only discovered in the 1990s. This means we've barely started to scratch the surface of studying other worlds. 
For example, we are yet to find many planets that look exactly like Earth, orbiting stars like our Sun, but recently released telescopes like the Webb are hoped to be capable of such detections. Even then, the distances between star systems are enormous, making journeys between them incredibly difficult. Our closest star system, for example, Alpha Centauri, is four light years away. The distance from Earth to Neptune, for comparison, is 0 0.0005 light years, a journey that would still take us decades with current technology. Intelligent aliens might simply have decided to never visit us, or did so long ago without leaving any trace. Alternatively, it may be that life is simply so rare that the chances of two intelligent species being positioned relatively near each other in the vastest of space is exceedingly slim. A more somber suggestion is that we are alone in the universe. Life, like that found on Earth, is simply so vanishingly unlikely to arise that ours was the only world where this happened. I don't particularly think that's likely. And most scientists would agree with me. But there is the possibility that some sort of event, known as a Great Filter, might prevent civilizations like our own from progressing far enough to make contact with other civilizations. So what's the Great Filter? Well, the Great Filter is the idea that catastrophic events, either man-made or natural, cause intelligent life to be extinguished on habitable worlds before they have a chance to extend their reach into the universe. These events could be one of many things. They might be powerful solar flares, climate change, asteroid impacts, or perhaps something of the planet's own doing like a nuclear apocalypse. If this idea is correct, it's not clear if we have already passed this filter or are we yet to reach it. But we can't talk about the Fermi paradox without getting all up in the Drake equation. Now, the Drake equation is an idea proposed by the American astronomer Frank Drake in 1961 that the number of potential civilizations in the universe can be calculated if we know a few key variables. Alright, you nerds, hold on to your suspenders because I'm about to drop a formula on you. Here's the equation, alright? And we're solving for n here. So n equals r asterisk times fraction of stars supporting planets times average number of planets that could potentially support life for each star that hosts planets times a fraction of those planets that could support life that actually develop life times the fraction of planets that develop intelligent life and thus intelligent civilizations times a fraction of those civilizations that develop a technology to communicate their existence times the length of time over which these civilizations send those detectable signals into space. Again, solving for n, that's r asterisk times fraction p times n e times fraction 1 times fraction i times fraction c times l. By including all of these factors in the equation, the idea is you might be able to work out how many other intelligent civilizations exist in the universe. This quote-unquote simple formula, Drake once said, would be akin to estimating the number of students at a university by multiplying the number of new students entering each year by the average number of years a student will spend at a university. According to SETI, as of yet, however, a number of key variables in the equation remain unknown, of course, meaning we can't yet come up with a possible number for other species of intelligent life. So, can we solve the Fermi Paradox? Many scientists, at the end of the day, hope that we can solve the Fermi Paradox. Recently dropped telescopes like NASA's James Webb Space Telescope, which launched in December 2021, is able to study the atmosphere of exoplanets like never before while the search for new planets is continuing unabated. By finding more planets in habitable zones around their stars where temperatures are just right for liquid water to exist, scientists could narrow down the possibility of other Earth-like worlds in the universe, and by using advanced telescopes study some of these Earth-like orbs in our galaxy. Ultimately, scientists simply need more data in order to truly understand the Fermi Paradox, but if it turns out that habitable planets are common, and astronomers have still yet to hear from anyone, then it might suggest intelligent life such as that on Earth is, in fact, rare. Although I like my humans, medium rare. You know, since I have you here for the water cooler facts, why don't you stick around and get out your tinfoil hats, my friends, because it is conspiracy corner time. Okay, everybody dialed into the mothership? Good. Prepare the memory centers of your brain for a direct injection of useless conspiracy theory about the secret space program. So, what secret space missions is NASA hiding from us? 
Space Expedition has always been an exciting project that every human being on this planet wants to know about. The time travel operation by NASA to Mars is one such mission that is known to few people. There are many such secret space missions of NASA that many of us do not know about, but in reality, they have taken place. The fact of the matter is that NASA doesn't want some crucial space mission to go public. Here are the top five secret missions that NASA does not want you to know about. Number one, time travel missions to Mars. It was in 1960 when the CIA got associated with the time travel missions of Mars. This mission enables them to transport things to Mars time over time, time squared. Some people are of the opinion that NASA figured out how to enter Mars with the help of Nikola Tesla's papers after his demise in 1940. What are they doing time traveling to Mars? We have no fucking clue. Number two, secret space Nazi program for reptilian guidance. The Nazis taught the people of Antarctica about their objective to establish a mystery base for space programs in Antarctica. A mysterious space program was established by the Nazis from the highest northern areas of the Earth. Many of you do not know about this fact. The reptile aliens allowed the Nazis to learn their secret technologies so that they could conduct secret space missions. Don't believe me? Fuck you. Here's number three, remote viewing of Jupiter. It is said that the modest, mysterious space program actually happened when a team of scientists left the Earth for Jupiter. The CIA was associated with the help of secret trials and projects to reveal a secret survey. The nominated researchers of Stanford University assisted on these projects. The general population program that took place was in the name of a man known as the Ingo Swan. Swan! Number 4, X-37B. In the year 2016, an unmanned spacecraft, X-37B, roamed around the Earth for almost a year. It's been said that it was a spy satellite of America whose task was to keep an eye on the activities and the weapons development of Russia. What is it, a Cold War? Ever heard of Apollo 20? You're about to. William Rutledge in 1976 was a part of a mystery space mission for the moon. He had found an ancient outlier base on the lunar surface. This had surprised astronauts who landed there at the time. They had also found female humanoids there and suspended movement from some species that are neither dead nor alive. Alright, despite all of those five things definitely having happened, here is an actual conspiracy theory that ended up being true. Back in 1968, three Apollo 8 astronauts circled the moon on Christmas Eve and returned home, where they were greeted with a ticker tape parade and honored on the cover of Time magazine. Far out of sight from these public celebrations, however, another group of astronauts was training to reach space, secretly. Unlike the Apollo program, these spacemen were part of a clandestine military operation that had less to do with the peaceful exploration of the heavens and much more to do with wreaking havoc in them. One of those secret astronauts was retired Vice Admiral Richard Truly, who later headed NASA. He's one of those tight-lipped G-men who's quoted as saying, you just couldn't tell anybody about it, it being the secret space program. He commanded something called the Manned Orbiting Laboratory, which was run by the Air Force and the Intelligence Community's National Reconnaissance Office, which were revealed last year when the NRO partly declassified more than 800 files and photos. The project, which was in place from 1963 to 1969, aimed to spy on and thwart the Soviet Union in space. According to the declassified documents, one objective was to explore the feasibility of attacking Moscow's satellites by knocking them out of orbit or firing projectiles at them. The program also included an elaborate plan to capture a Russian spacecraft in orbit, swaddle it in heat shield material, and send it back to Earth for inspection. Yet despite Washington's best efforts to keep these experiments under wraps at the time, its main adversary discovered the operation. In fact, Moscow equipped its secret manned space station, Almaz, with a rapid-fire cannon, according to chief designer Vladimir Polyachenko. If a U.S. spacecraft attempted to inspect or even attack the Almaz, we could destroy it, Polyachenko told PBS in 2007. He also said that in 1975, cosmonauts test-fired the cannon, making the Soviet Union the first nation to weaponize an orbiting spacecraft. Which is really just one fucking step away from space pirates, which I 100% endorse. I'd like to thank the sources for this week's episode, including imdb.com, youthkiawaz.com, Wikipedia, of course, 
LiveScience.com, Science.org, and NASA.gov. And I don't even care that I'm probably on some sort of list for the search queries that I entered on the NASA website. Did they have to do with space? Maybe. I mean, whatever, right? Folks, you may or may not know this about me, but the month of October is hands down my favorite month out of the year. For tis time for all things to be spooky, including Science Factual. For the entire month of October, as an homage to the silly and macabre alike, we will be covering classic science fiction horror films with a sprinkling of comedic relief in there. Here's that extra spooky lineup. On October 4th, the Creasy Crashley brothers, Carson and Brendan, will be gracing the podcast with coverage of the original Ghostbusters movie after the Mega Sookies comedy showcase they co-host in downtown Portland. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Following that, I sit down with Jasmine Pettit, host of Telltale Showcase, to talk about the Resident Evil franchise on October 11th. On October 18th, the super awesome Sagan Genesis and I chat about everyone's favorite sci-fi horror musical comedy, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Then we have a live recording of Science Factual on October 23rd at the 4th Wall PDX, congregating with the Dark Arts Festival. Presented by Forgotten Fantasies and the Dark Lord himself, Michael Garcia. (laughs) I'm super stoked for this show, as we'll be covering my favorite sci-fi horror film, Event Horizon, in front of a live audience with one of my favorite people, the incredibly funny Billy Chambers. Welcome to Portland, buddy. That epic debauchery takes place from October 21st through the 23rd. It's a festival of dark music, dark comedy, and dark art works. Learn more at fftheshow.com. Wrapping up the month, we have an extra mischievous Halloween edition, y'all. That's right, we're talking gremlins. I'll be trying to keep my mogwai dry around one of the funniest dudes I know, guest comedian Seth Allen. I know, that's a lot to look forward to. You can catch it all every Tuesday from 8 to 9 a.m. throughout the month of October, only on Shady Pines Radio. Make sure you download the very free Shady Pines Radio app wherever you procure your apps and donate to the Shady Pines Radio Patreon page. It's a great way to support the vast community that makes up Shady Pines Radio. Before we rock it on out of here, how's about a set from Charlie at the Helium Comedy Club in Southeast Portland, Oregon? Enjoy! I get it, I look like an 80s bully. <laughs> Makes sense to me. I also look like somebody who's gonna inherit a lot of money. <laughs> spend that money on a coke addiction that's also inherited. <laughs> I also look a lot like my dad. I really do. I started to feel like him lately too. You know, I started this new job, started a very corporate job, very businessy job, we gotta wear suit and stuff. The thing that really did it, the thing that really made me feel like my dad was. I already thought about how to divorce my girlfriend. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I love my girlfriend. It's my fucking wife that I hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. New job, it's been fun. If you didn't get it from that last joke, my parents are divorced. It's true, and, uh, it's been good and bad, you know? Like, uh, one of the bad things is that they finally found a piece of technology that they're better than me, yeah? Both of them have way more success on Tinder than I ever have. <laughs> and they'll still call and be like, Charlie, the Wi-Fi is being weird. You can come fix it. I'll unplug it and plug it back in. Meanwhile, she's in the corner swiping. <laughs> my mom will ask me questions like, uh, what is BDSM? Is that a new rap group you guys are listening to? I'm like, Mom, unmatch right now. Unmatch. <laughs> don't get me wrong, I'm sex positive, just now because of my parents. <laughs> I don't want them fucking at all. It's actually uh, been good for me and my dad's relationship, too. Because since he's divorced, he treats me a lot more like a friend than a, than a son. You know, and we started having more similar hobbies and stuff, too. The other day, he was, uh, trying to talk to me about his, his girlfriend. And he was like, you know what, I think things are getting pretty serious. And uh, keep in mind, she's only like a couple years old than me. Right? <laughs> we could have been in the same high school. She would have been a senior, I was a sophomore, you know. 
And he, he's talking to me, he's like, you know what? Like, I really like her, I just don't know how to go forward. Like, I don't think marriage is the right choice. So I think I'm just gonna adopt her. <laughs> the fucking worst part about that joke is, I didn't even write that. My dad texted me that to each of us. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's been real interesting. Like, you know, I, I love my dad. He's been getting a lot more body positive lately, too. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fantastic, but he just doesn't need to send me nude photos of him every time he goes in there. like, hey, look, it's me and my girlfriend. We're at fucking New Beach in Oregon. And I'm like, Dad, I, I've seen this more times than I've lost in my entire fucking life. Don't get me wrong, that bar is low, but it's still too much. It's still too much. I got called the other day, uh, stupid fucking moron. You understand. <laughs> I really couldn't be mad at them. I really couldn't be mad at them. We only got two out of three things right. Yeah, I'm stupid. Yeah, I'm a moron. That sure is calling me fucking. Oh, the, the last joke isn't uh, even necessarily true anymore. I got a girlfriend recently. And um, is anybody here into astrology? Sorry, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> but uh, our signs like don't match at all. Like uh, she's a cancer, and I'm sure you know. My signs are chemotherapy. <laughs> and like I try to come on the bright side. You know? We're never gonna break up. We'll just go into remission. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's the type of jokes I like to make. But, um, <laughs> Thank you, sir. I heard that. <laughs> Thank you. Fantastic. Uh, it's not over yet, so calm down. I could bomb. We'll see. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, we um we, we got together during COVID. You know, again, COVID, nobody gave a shit. And um, yeah, we met on Tinder, and uh, it was like right after her grandma died too. Like right after her grandma died. And I really do think we got her grandma's blessing. Like, you know how the room gets cold? Oh, there's a ghost presence, you know? My dick was this fucking big. Dude. So small, but I was like, thank you, Tina. Appreciate it. We got her blessing. Oh, yeah, all right. Is anybody here religious? I also don't give a fuck. I do not care. But uh, I had the opportunity to be religious uh, when I was a kid. I got invited by my neighbors to go to church. And the only reason why I went, because I was a real religious, they're like, you know what, come to church, we'll be free guns afterwards. So I decided to go to church and forward as hell, right? Like, did not really want to be there. And then afterwards, we go to the bathroom and the supposed to be done. So there's no fun. And exactly. And I was like, I was so disappointed. I was like, you know what, God, God isn't fucking real. There's no donuts. There would have been donuts if you wanted me to convert, right? And then so I left thinking, like, ah, oh, there's no God. Oh, it's a bummer. And then I was thinking about it later. And I was like, you know what? There is a God. Because there is a type of donut in that church. So I remember all the altar boys are cream filled. <laughs> Folks, this is Michael Phelps, host of Father's Favorites and the Comedy Open Mic at my father's place, conveniently located at 523 Southeast Grand Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Mic sign-ups are Fridays at 8.30 p.m. Come on by for some awesome breakfast food, great drinks, and the best comedians Portland and the Pacific Northwest has to offer. In the meantime, make sure you follow Science Factual on the socials. That's at Science Factual Pod, as well as Shady Pines Radio for amazing content 24 hours a day, 8 days a week. Download the app today wherever you procure your apps. You're listening to ShadyPinesRadio.com. Here's the lineup for Tuesdays. Starting at 8 a.m., Science Factual with Reese Hendrick. Emotional Weather Report with Jamie Stewart at 10 a.m. At 11 a.m., Beat Salad with Mason O'Brien. At noon, The Blue Hour with Blue Adams. At 1 p.m., Northwest Comedy Hour with Emily June. At 2 p.m., The Prague Hour with Reagan Lindy. Your own private PDX with DJ Squiffy at 3 p.m. At 4 p.m., 
Cosmic Taco Beat Shack with Big Papa Warrior. No Dancing Please with L. Ron Hubbard at 5 p.m. At 6 p.m., Anything New with Shorty L. At 7 p.m., Toasty Tunes with Alex Toast. Radio Seance with Your Psychic Friends at 8 p.m. At 9 p.m., Fresh, Unoriginal with DJ Wineglass. Turntable Talk with Chili and Bass at 10 p.m. And at 11 p.m., Taking Drugs to Play Music to Take Drugs to with Shampoo Douglas. No matter the day or time, you've picked the right time to listen in. Thanks for listening, and tell others. Shady Pines Radio.